Well, good morning, church. We uh, are doing a little bit of a study on Advent and trying to go a little bit deeper. And um, last Sunday, I got some mixed messages on, on the message last Sunday. I tried to just kind of give a, an overview of the Old Testament because the hope of Jesus is set in this story of the Old Testament. And so we did this big uh, kind of review and where our hope is anchored in. And today is simply on love. And I don't have a place for you to turn because we're going to kind of do a, a systematic study, kind of an, a, an overview of love from Scripture. And so if you, if you needed a text for today, the text that I'm working from in my mind is just simply for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. So I'm working from that and asking the question, what does it really mean that God loves us and, and how does that play out? And I, I, the reason why I'm, I'm kind of doing a broader study here is simply that our world that we live in has hijacked, in my opinion, the term love and is making it mean things that it never meant biblically. And so let me give you an example of that. Last night, Janine and I were watching one of my favorite Christmas movies. I won't tell you what it is because you'll judge me. But at the end of the movie... The family is standing on uh, the front lawn and somebody points out a star and the main character says, that's the Christmas star. And it means something different to everyone. But now I know what it means to me. And that's what the world that we live in is doing with truth. It's not making it, uh, they're objecting it in the sense of it can mean different things to different people. And so when we hear this idea of love in the society that we live in, nobody really agrees on the definition. And so when we're talking about love today, what I want to do is talk about some misunderstandings of love. Then we're going to talk of the meaning of love and then the ministry of love. So let me, let me just talk about how our world has misinterpreted the idea of love. And I have five different things here. I didn't have enough room to put these in your notes. So you just kind of have to kind of follow along here. But we, use, we hear the word love used a lot in political circles and social circles. People say love is love. Love doesn't discriminate. Love over hate. And at, at the basis of those, we as believers go, okay, I think I agree with that. But then that might have an agenda behind it that maybe we don't necessarily agree with all of that. And so here's some misconceptions of love in our society. The first is simply this, that love appeals to our good hearts. And what I mean by that is people just have a logical flow. Love is good, and, and we're all basically good people, and so I'm asking you to do this out of love. And there's a basic belief that deep down inside, we are good. But the Bible teaches something entirely different. The Bible teaches that deep down inside of us, we're actually evil. That we are prone to sin. And so when the Bible says that we love 
only because he first loved us, 1 John 4, 19. If we take that literally, what the Bible is saying is that love is not our default. Selfishness is our default. And so appealing to everyone's good nature is a false assumption. Now, most of us act good or loving in society. But studies have shown that most of us do that out of peer pressure, not out of the goodness of our heart. The second misconception is that love is simply an inward attraction to someone or something that can't be controlled. Overwhelmingly in the Bible, love is pictured much more like an action than a feeling. And so the idea is that I love something inside of me and I just can't help it is false from a biblical point of view. In fact, if we go back to number one, that deep down inside of us we are evil, we should question our first inclination towards love because we are, we are working from a fallen nature. Think about the idea of love in the Bible. Love is patient. 1 Corinthians 13. This doesn't say love feels patient. It says love is patient. Love is kind. Not that love feels kind. Love is kind. It's an action. Third, because we believe that love is just kind of something inside of us, which we, we recognize from a biblical point of view is wrong, and that it's an inward contraction uh, that we can't control, the third assumption of our society is that you should just let me love what I want. Just, just let me do what I want to do. I, there's a part of me that goes, okay, I, I kind of get that. But John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Love for God is shown in his word and obedience to his word. Love doesn't just let people just go do whatever they want to do. And, and let me just, be, because you're arguing with that on a large scale, let me just put this in a small scale for you. Think of your kids when they're small. Think of your grandchildren. You don't just let them do whatever they want. Some of you grandparents are a little bit on the edge too far with this, okay? But if your grandson or daughter or your child is running into the street, into traffic, you don't say, well, that's what they want to do. Follow your heart, Johnny. Follow your heart. No. You say, stop. That's dangerous. And so love does at times say, no. It has to. And so when Christians say no, people say love is not judgmental or jealous. These things aren't like that. Now, I got to pick on Rich a little bit this morning. Love you, brother. But you quoted a verse from a text where God is talking about judgment. You're not going to believe what I'm about to do for you. And he's talking about the incoming of the Chaldeans. Why? 
Because God wants to punish Judah and Israel? Because God wants to crush them? No. Because his love is a jealous love. It's a love that says, you will love me only, and you can't love other people. Now, one of the things that is my last point in misunderstanding love, and I will just say, um, I've wrestled with this one personally. Because I've grown up in the church, and we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, and that has come to a point where I care for other people sometimes more than I care for myself. And so one of the things that's really big in our society is that we can't love until we learn to love ourselves. And what that has caused people to do is really stop loving and just become in this internal discovery thing that seems to go on for a really long time. And so when the Bible talks about self-love, it talks about it in two ways. It talks about it as an assumption. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. It's an assumption that you already love yourself. Because guess what? You do. You do. And the other way the Bible talks about self-love is as a corruption. What do I mean by that? means we can love ourselves too much. In 1 Timothy, excuse me, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. You say, well, shouldn't we love ourselves? What, what is Paul saying? They will love themselves too much. Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant. So there's an assumption that we all love ourselves and we should love other people that way, but there's also a corruption of it. We can go too far with it. So we have all sorts of misunderstandings of love. It's based on an idea that we're all basically good, which the Bible tells us we are not. It's a belief that because we're basically good, that the things that I love are good for me and I should go after, but we know that that can't be true. And we have this assumption that comes, at least with adults, that I get to love what I want, you can't tell me what to do, and love isn't judgmental or jealous, and then we really just focus on what we really love. So let's look at the meaning of biblical love. And what I want to do here is not just give you a, here's a definition and write it down, let's see how God loves us. Okay, so here's the first one. God's love is sacrificial. God's love is sacrificial. For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave. Okay, he, he gave something. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's sacrificial. 1 John 3.16-18 through 18 starts this way. But by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. God's love is sacrificial. Now, this next part of the sermon is not new to me. Uh, I've seen this in many different ways, in different commentaries and books. Uh, so I just, I don't remember who this originated with, uh, but I just think it's really helpful. Let's just take John 3.16 almost word by word. For God 
the greatest lover. God, when we talk about love, it originates from God. For God. You just have to, you have to stop and go, this isn't, this isn't a love like my love. This is a love greater than my love. So loved to the greatest degree. This, the example in the Bible of God's love is the greatest example of love there is. It's the greatest degree. The world, that's the greatest company. I mean, he, he hasn't limited that at all, does he? And, and just so you know, some of you grew up in different circles where here the world doesn't actually mean world. It just means people. It's just the world here. For God so loved the world that he gave. The greatest single act in history of love. He gave what? His son. That is the greatest gift ever given. The greatest gift. That whoever, here's the greatest opportunity. It doesn't say whatever Jew, it doesn't say whatever you know, Gentile, it doesn't say anybody on this continent or the rich or the poor, whoever. This is the greatest opportunity. And what, it, what do we have to do? Simply believe. Talk about simple, right? The greatest simplicity. What do we need to believe in? In him. What it, talk about the greatest attraction and and, and here's why I did an overview of the Old Testament and so many more reasons. The progressive church, false churches today, want to separate the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And what I want to show you is that this is all one story. And God is, is such an attraction in who he is. Shall not uh, perish. It's the greatest promise. But... <laughs> That's the greatest difference, right? We're not going to perish, but something greater is going to happen. Have. Here is the greatest certainty. If you believe, you will have what? Eternal life. Greatest possession. This verse is all about God's great love. And God's love is sacrificial. The second thing about God's love is that it's very generous. Um, 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has, and in the, in the NIV it says, has lavished on us. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Man, I, God's love is generous. So generous. I was reading a book, uh, I'm always reading a few different books, and one of the books just kind of walked through the different descriptors that God has of himself, metaphorically. And I thought it was kind of interesting, and the author said, you can see a progression of relationship. Think about this. God describes himself in scripture as the shepherd. Right? Very, very basic. Okay, that's very nice, but not much relationship. The second thing, God describes himself as the master. Again, a little bit more interaction between a master and servant, but not very relational. Next, God describes himself as 
a father. Boy, now relationship begins to set in. But those of you who have had that relationship, you know, sometimes a father-son or father-daughter relationship can be a little bit strained, right? Because there's still position in there. Next, Jesus says to his disciples, I no longer call you my servant. I call you my friend. Well, that's different. That's different. That's that's a, that's a much different relationship, even than father. I've always defined, how do you know if somebody's your friend? And, I, and I, I've defined friendship this way. Who could you call that would, without hesitation, come help you move a couch? But we don't have that many friends, right? There's somebody else. Now, you know, some of us have position, you know, if your pastor calls you and asks you to help move a couch, you kind of go, oh, I probably have to. Right? But if my son-in-law calls me and ha- asks me to help move his couch, I say, you've got some younger friends, my friend. Go find somebody else. But when your friend calls you, you go, yeah, I'll be right over. And then finally, the description metaphorically of God in the Bible is of husband and wife lover with the church. And so if you look at our Our role, we're sheep, servant, child, friend, beloved by God. And I think too many of us just get stuck on the metaphor of master-servant and never move to friend and lover in God's eyes. And we miss out on the relationship. God's love is generous. It overflows. Now, because God's love is sacrificial and because it is generous, God's love did hard things. Um, God gave his son. God loved us while we were rebelling. God entered into his own creation that was rejecting him. God's love called him to do hard things. And so when he described love to his servants and to his children and to his church, he describes a really difficult love. Think about this. Um, God calls us to love our enemies. God calls us to love our enemies. Now, I just want to say right here, I don't think he's being metaphorical or he's not, I don't think he's using hyperbole here. I think he's really saying God's love loves enemies. Here's the verse. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Wow. That is not an easy kind of love. Second, God's love calls us to love those who can't pay us back. Luke chapter 14, probably one of the most, um, one of the just influential passages in my wife and I's life. And we were, as we come across this in our reading, he said to the man who had invited him, he's at a banquet, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. That's a pretty good list of people that we usually invite to dinner, isn't it? Friends, right? Our family, 
and the influential people in our neighborhood. Let's have them over. And he's, here's why you're not supposed to do that. He says, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. My wife and I just had this discussion. We said, who have we ever had to dinner in our house that could not repay us by inviting us to their house? And I don't know that we, we couldn't come up with an answer to that. Not, not very many, at least. And so we said, for us, this was many years ago, we are going to enter into foster care. Now, since then, Kirsten has had us over for dinner, so maybe, maybe it doesn't play out, but it took a lot of years to get there. You see what I'm saying? Who, who, are, we, who are we investing in that can't say thank you? And so this is a tough kind of love. And so he calls us to love the orphan. Right? Very simple. This is repeated many times throughout Scripture. And it simply says... Uh, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself um, unstrained from the world. And so we're to love the orphan. We're to love the widow. Okay? That those sometimes, you know, I just want to say, um, it's funny that these are in one verse because, you know, as a pastor, I've been around a bunch of widows and doing foster care, been around Orphans, and I'm just going to say, loving widows is a lot easier. I, these are not equally true. Most widows that are, you know, cantankerous. Some of, some of you are, but most of you doing really well. But loving a child that has been abandoned by the person that's supposed to love them, that's hard. And so God is calling us to these hard things. To love the sojourner, right? The, the person that, is, that is, doesn't quite fit into society. Deuteronomy 10, 19. Love the sojourner, therefore, you who were sojourners in the land of Egypt. And we talked about this when we went through Peter. That This is a common theme that continues through Scripture. And then he says that we're to love the poor. Right? We've already kind of addressed that, but let me just come back to it because it's hard to do. Now, it's not hard to do at Christmas time for some reason, but it's hard to do the rest of the year. Okay? And so um, it was interesting when, when Paul and the, and the elders at Jerusalem have this big, big debate about the gospel, they say, look, no, they don't have to hold all these Old Testament laws, but we would like them to be generous to the poor. And Paul said, yeah, it's what I wanted to do all along. Yes, we're on the same page. So God's love causes him to do hard things. It calls us to do hard things. And God's love is eternal. Now, we know this in general. But sometimes, you know, it's hard to really put into our mind. Scripture says, for I am convinced, Paul speaking, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, 
nor principalities, I think he's talking about demons there, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God. That's a pretty good list. And yet, when we sin or fall short, Satan speaks into our ear. God doesn't love you anymore. You're not good enough. And Paul says that's impossible. Nothing could separate you from God's love. Now, don't raise your hand. But I think most of you have been in a situation where something has happened. And in the back of your mind, you've said, I, I'm not sure if God loves me anymore. And Paul knew that was coming. Now, finally, God's love. Uh, sorry, make sure I'm on the right place in my notes. God's love causes him to pursue us, and he calls us to pursue others. God set us into relationship in the garden. God was present with his creation. They spoke with one another in the cool of the evening as they walked. God wanted to co-rule the earth with them and through them, using their gifts and abilities and giving them freedom. And there was only one rule, don't eat of the tree. When Adam and Eve rebel against God, that relationship is broken, not completely, but it is broken. And now God is on a rescue mission. And when you look at the Old Testament, God steps in, people rebel. God steps in and gives promises, people rebel. God gives rules, people disobey. And, and Israel and all people just continue to rebel against God and at the end of, of last week's message, I said, and so God said he was going to do it himself. And so what God did is go on the most incredible rescue mission ever planned. He disguised himself as man. And he lived among us. And he came and lived the life that we could not live and died the death that we deserve so that that relationship might be restored. All the while, we as his creation doubted him, mocked him, beat him, and killed him. Do you remember some of you having a a small child or grandchild that is angry about something, needs a clean diaper, needs to eat, and you as the adult knows what the need is, and you go to try to meet it, and the child fights you. And you're like, just take the bottle, you're hungry. Okay. Do you want to stay like this? I am cleaning you up. That's what we did. It's God's creation as he's saving us. 
We fought against the rescue mission. All the way to the end. Advent is the greatest story of God's love. So God says, this is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Ouch. Boy, this seems difficult, does it not? We just talked about what God's love is. So let's go back through that. This is the ministry of love that you and I are called to. God's love is sacrificial. Therefore, your love is going to cost you something. I was reading uh, in the Old Testament in, uh, in 2 Chronicles. And uh, at the end of David's life, King David wants to give uh, a gift to the temple. He wants to set his son up, who's going to build the temple. He wants to set him up for success. And so it says, David uh, gave 3,000 talents of gold. Now, I just want to say, I'm an Old Testament professor at Corbin, and uh, I don't always remember all the weights and measures of the Bible. And so I stopped, and I said, and I didn't have a study Bible on me, and I'm like, how much is a talent? It's the size of a small human being. One talent of gold today, one talent of gold today would be worth upwards of $385,000. David gave 3,000 talents of gold to the temple. Now, I don't know what David's bank account looked like. That had to hurt a little bit. That cost something. Now, loving other people is going to cost you something. Number one, it will cost you time, right? Loving people always costs time. It costs money in discipleship. It costs money in coffees, mochas, muffins, lunch, dinners, books. It's going to cost you heartache. Because some of those things that you've invested in with people and you've loved on them, you know what? They're going to do just like we did as creation and they're just going to take it and go. And you're going to sit back and go, I invested so much time and money in that person. And God says, tell me about it. Right? It's going to cost you comfort. When you love other people, I guarantee it will take you out of your comfort zone. If it doesn't, you're not doing it right. Love is sacrificial. And my list here, I know I have them on your notes, but on my list as I was going through this, I just had to put this on there. It's going to cost you broken things. I was a youth pastor for 10 years. And my wife, I mean, we could name so many different things, but my wife had a very nice expensive lamp that she inherited from her mother. And one of our youth broke it. And you, what do you say, right, to a teenager? That was a Tiffany lamp! They don't know. They replaced it with one from Ross, okay? Not the same. I don't know how many things in life that have been broken by kids and young people and hurting people that have come through our house during the years. 
my wife, it's so much so my wife would just say, God doesn't want us to have nice things. Okay? <laughs> that's, that's our philosophy. And you know what? It's much easier if you don't put nice things in your house. Because then when they get broken, you go, ha ha, I won that one. Love costs you things. Your love needs to go above and beyond. God lavished his love on us, and we're called to lavish it on others. Did you guys hear the story? It was in the news this week. I think it was on the coast, and this gas station attendant was talking with the guy in the car. Have you heard this one? He was just talking, and he says, uh, you've been trying to save up for a car and didn't have a car, and he's trying to... And the guy, the gas station attendant, you know, very friendly, talks with him. The guy leaves, goes to the nearest dealership, and gives money for this kid that he just, that's the only mate they've ever had, and gave him money to get a car. And the salesman had to drive back to the gas station, found the guy, said, I think his name is such and such. He goes, yeah, that's me. And he goes, you're not going to believe this, but I've got something for you. And so the salesman asked the guy, why are you doing this? And it was at least on the news that I had. The man said, his faith. And I, I thought, man, I mean, I've bought a guy lunch before, but a car? Amazing. God's love goes lavishes, and our love should go above and beyond. And, and here's just some things about God's love that I think should be true of our love. God's love seeks the best. In other words, look, I know that God doesn't give me everything that I want. I know that because I ask and I do not receive. But I do know that God wants the best for me. I know that my kids asked for things that they didn't get either because I wanted the best for them. I was going to say my grandkids, but I haven't experienced that yet. I haven't said no to them yet, but I'm sure at some point they'll ask for something and I'll say, no, that's not the best. God's love seeks the lost. And if there's one thing I would love the church, large C and our church, to be more passionate about is that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And if there's one thing that I'm going to be focused on, it's going to be seeing people come to Christ. Because last time I checked, hell is still really hot and it's for a really long time. God seeks his glory. Not my glory, not your glory. It seeks not my comfort, not your comfort. It seeks glory, God's glory. In our reading in Luke this week, Jesus says, let the children come to me. Remember, there's children all around. God's, Jesus is blessing them, and the disciples are like, eh, let's get rid of these kids. Been there. And Jesus says, no. Let the children come to me. I'm going to press on you a little bit, and you can, you can press back later, but I've read the Bible a few times, and I don't remember Jesus ever saying, let the seniors come to me. It's not because he doesn't love the seniors. He says, let the children come to me. Why? Because they have childlike faith, and because when a child's life is changed, 
man, their whole future is changed. And I, I just, I, I want to see more little kids running around. God's love seeks the outcast. I can't think of a point where God ever commands us to love the rich. We're supposed to love everyone, uh, but we already do that. He wants us to love the outsider, the poor, the lame, the blind. And so if God's love does hard things, it means that, it means that you are going to be called to do hard things. Love calls us to do hard things. It calls us to do things that are best for other people. It reaches the lost. It's for God's glory. It, it reaches out to people that we're uncomfortable with. It's the enemy and the orphan and the widow. And God says, I want you to love like that. But I'm not always comfortable with that. And so God says, I want you to, I want you to love. Love does hard things. That was the title of the message. If, I, if you leave here, what Dave talked about, love, love does hard things. And I think, again, repeating this idea of Advent and Jesus coming for us, if Jesus came to seek and save the lost, I'm just saying it again. Oh, I'm sorry. Your love needs to be focused on eternal things. Skip one of my own points. I, I just can't tell you how often my love is so focused on things that are temporal. I, confession's good for the soul, bad for the reputation. I, and I think if you walk around your house, if you walk around your you, you go, man, I'm really attached to that thing, and it's not eternal. Love needs to focus on eternal things, and love needs to focus, again, on the lost. I'm repeating that just because I think it's important. So here's my challenge for you. Here's the application and action. And um, just that it seems like uh, we have plenty of time. I could keep going. No, um, here, here's, here's what I want to say. Um, here's my challenge to you. And I, I, I'm asking you to kind of go through a process. And so I want you to grab the communion elements and take them home. And I, I would love for you to just take some time to pray. And, and I want to ask you to really pray that you would understand more fully what God's love is and what God's love is calling you to do. Now, it's really easy to, to just fill in the blank with what we want it to be. But I'm asking you to, to think and to pray about what it really means to love sacrificially. And as you pray that, and as you take the cup and the juice, being reminded of Jesus' sacrifice for you, asking God what it looks like for you to love sacrificially. And then here's the second part of the challenge. Now, because you've prayed that, you've got to walk through the week with open eyes. You've got to look. Where is God giving you an opportunity, a divine opportunity, to show love. Now, here's what we've trained our eyes to do and our heart to do. We see something and we say, that's not my problem. That's a problem too big for me. Um, that's, a, that's a government problem. That's, but whatever it is, if you're praying for God to help you love sacrificially, you've got to look. And then, obviously, what's next then? You have to respond. And here's... I, we don't, we don't like, like to, to but I, I would love to hear some stories of opportunities you had to show love. You don't have to be too specific. But email those, man. I'd love to hear those.
What, what are some ways that as you look to love sacrificially, God has opened up a door for you? And let's see those things. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning for your love. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your patience and kindness towards us. And Lord, we recognize that we fall short so many times. Individually, corporately, we fail to love like Jesus loved. And so, Lord, we lean into that love this morning, this Advent love, that we might be ministers of your love according to the definitions of love that you've gave us in Scripture for your glory. I pray that you would just be with our hearts during this season. We're hurting relationally, socially, politically, financially. God, those hurts cause us to maybe sometimes feel bitter or feel like maybe you don't love us as much as we thought you did. So God, we just open up our hearts. We pray that you would cleanse us and draw us into a deeper relationship with you. That we might shine your image into the world in which we live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.